Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, heal, help others heal and heal the world, mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I myself have been trying to figure it out since we last caught up by driving up and down the New Jersey Turnpike relentlessly. (laughs) And then Marty just got herself a little remote control car and went out on the driveway. Boom. Figured out. I did. I figured it out. I wrote it on a sacred scroll. Oh, yes. I tucked it into the car. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I let the car go out in the woods and I've got the controls in my secret closet. Oh, and you will never figure it out unless you find the remote control or no, find the car. But no, as you search the woods that I still have the remote. I can only assume that your secret closet is a euphemism. <laughs> no. Right? Well, let's just say it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's very complicated. I never knew until this moment that the that what you'd figured out was going to be a secret. Oh, yeah. We don't want, like, if everybody figured it out, who would listen to our podcast? That is for people trying to figure it out. Oh, right. We would lose our whole audience. (laughs) Okay. Okay, that makes sense. No offense, darling listeners. But, Ro, what are you trying to figure out? Okay. So, I have an earworm problem. (laughs) 
Oh, that is disgusting. I've heard of yak leeches that stick in your nose, but not earworms. I think you had a similar thing in your your secret closet recently. (laughs) The secret closet is full of earworms. Oh. Oh. God. What's your damn earworm, okay. bro? So Lila sometimes in the morning will watch a couple of minutes of a show on YouTube that I don't know its name, but the lady who does it is called Miss Rachel and she's wonderful mm-hmm. and she teaches the small ones to talk. And mm-hmm. one of the ways she does this is by creating earworms that go into their parents' poor heads when their parents are just trying to drink their coffee and get through <laughs> the morning as best they can. But imbibing the caffeine and Miss Rachel's voice just slurches down with it. Slides in with it, yeah. So anyway, long story short, I, without even knowing it, I have been... (laughs) So bad, Marty. I have been walking around the house. I think I know what you're going to say because you've been doing it out loud. (laughs) Singing. (laughs) I can't even... All right, but this is what she says. <laughs> put it in, put it in, put it in. <laughs> and that's it. That's all I've got in here. And and that's what you keep saying. <laughs> put it in, put it in, put it in. Let's not even discuss why we think this is funny. Hey, do you remember the other day when I you asked me what time we were leaving. Oh, right. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. Tell them. Okay. So this is what happened. I, Marty said to me, what time are we leaving? And me, knowing the answer, said to her, two. <laughs> and I just stared at you. Martha Beck proceeded to give me the weirdest <laughs> look. You can imagine, like... Not just blank, not just confused, but a little bit accusatory. <laughs> like she was kind of like, what the hell are you saying to me right now? <laughs> was the look, but she didn't say a word. And we were like suspended in silence, staring at each other for probably a good 30 like, seconds. What do you want from me? And I said, what time are we leaving? And she said, two. And I said, oh, I thought you meant also. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> My tiny, feeble brain is just gasping its last these days. Gang, it's been a weird week. Marty, <sighs> what are you trying to figure out, please? Well, I've been trying to figure out what the child is saying. Oh, yeah. Lila, as she watches Miss Rachel. Put it in, put it in, put it in. <sighs> that is just wrong. That's wrong. Okay. Fortunately, I have not heard her saying that. I've, I've heard her say, Rap! <laughs> and, and she says it a lot. Rap! And I don't know what the consonants are. And, it was, and we thought, for a while, we thought it was cat because we thought she said it when she saw a cat picture. And then it was that. For a while, I thought it was thank you. I thought she was growing up to be polite. At Jokes one on point, me. Lila launched a chunk of food off her high chair towards the dog. And Marty goes, oh, it's catch. <laughs> catch, yeah. But of course, cat. the dogs do not bah. need to be told what to do bah. when a baby launches food at them. So anyway, it reminded me of the confusion of consonants that came one day when I was living in a different house. It was the middle of the night and mm-hmm. the phone rang. Bring, bring. This oh. is when we had phones that rang. And uh, as you know, you may have heard, my name is Beck. Mm-hmm. My last name is Beck. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize at the time is that 
the consonants B and V are really close together, and so B are B for Bob and V for Victor. Yeah, and so are K and T, like Beck and Bet. They they sound quite similar, especially on an old timey bring bring phone, right? Mm. So this is how it went: three in the morning, I pick up the phone. Hello, is this the vets? Said the woman. But I heard, is this the Bex? So I said, yes. Uh-huh. And she said, I have a sick horse. <laughs> and I, there was a long pause. And then I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she said, well, what should I do? And I was like, I, I don't know. And she said, but aren't you the Bex? And I was like, yes. And she said, then tell me what to do for my horse. And I was so, I was really getting into it because I know that horses are delicate and yeah. when they get sick it's no it's no joke yeah. i was desperate i was like i really really wish i knew what to do <laughs> and she's like what kind of like don't you even care and i was like i love animals <laughs> she's like and that's why you're in the max yes she's Tell like me. you were supposed to go to school for that <laughs> and i was and i did not figure out during the entire conversation that she thought it was the vets. i just thought she was calling the backs to see what to do about her horse and i was so confused and i finally just I had to say, ma'am, I am so very sorry, and I hope you get help for your horse. And I did hang up the phone, and it was a tragic night for both of us and probably the horse. Did you at least tell her that you went to Harvard? Oh, I did slip that in. (laughs) It was more like, ring, ring, hello, I went to Harvard. Because that's how I always went to the phone. You were like, you mean Dr. Vets, PhD from Harvard? Yeah. I have a PhD in sociology. Then what should I do with my horse? (laughs) Yeah. um, I should know, really, but I don't. Anyway, that, it reminds me, and it makes me worry that Lila's going to be, she's saying that, and probably she means something like, I need a blood transfusion, and Mm. we just aren't getting it. Yeah. Oh, well. Stay tuned. We'll let you know. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favourite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple. And giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, Marty, this week's topic is enough. Enough. Yes. Uh, I was thinking about it because I heard or read an anecdote that 
later on Google I discovered uh, came from John Bogle's book, Don't Count on It, but I did not know that at the time. Mm. And it's a story about Joseph Heller and Kurt Vonnegut chatting together at a billionaire, some LA billionaire's party one night. And Vonnegut says to Joseph Heller, do you find it weird that this guy who's holding the party makes more in a week, might have been a day, than you made from the entire phenomenon of Catch-22? And Heller was like, yeah, I guess that's, you know, that's something. But I've got something that this guy will never have. And Vonnegut said what? And Heller said, enough, you see, mm. enough. And that made me think about the phenomenon of enough and enough. how it functions psychologically and especially in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I had a client once who made $400 million in one day. Oh, really? He, yeah. He went com- public with this company and just, it was oh. this massive PIO and they had a huge party and he called me at three in the morning. Again, that's a theme of this podcast. And there was this blasting rock band in the back and the huge party. And he was, you know, completely three sheets to the wind. And he was just yelling into the phone. It isn't enough. When is it ever effing going to be enough? Mm. It was, it was, and I pitied him and for a short while felt like, who there, but for the grace of God, go I. And then I noticed that I buy a lot of, like, if anything helps me in any way, I immediately buy a lot of it. Like, I have dry eyes. Mm-hmm. So I buy, I don't just buy one bottle of eye drops. I, I buy seven. And then when I go to so- store the extra six, they join the other, like, 300 bottles of eye drops in my secret closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just eye drops and earworms in there. <laughs> yeah, right. So we, you actually said to me, not that long ago you said i i have a drug problem not taking them but just keeping them and (laughs) it's true that you needed to find extra space recently for just like this horde of dayquil and nyquil and tylenol stuff yeah it's all it's all perfectly legit stuff but god there's a lot of it and you never use it no. You never use it. And so when she talks about putting the eye drops, it's literally true. That's literally true. Ah, there you go. But they're all out of freaking date. See, you guys believe in things like out of date. I feel <laughs> if they're packaged, they're going to be good till the next millennium at least. <laughs> Marty is like, doesn't believe in food going off either. She's like, ah, it'll be fine. <laughs> and then later she's like, ooh. <laughs> When was that chicken supposed to be eaten by? <laughs> yeah. Good times. Okay, so that's the thing. And and when I'm sad, I buy a lot of art supplies. I watch people doing painting videos online because I don't have time. And then because I get so identified with the painters, I buy the equipment that they're using, like the type of paint they're using, and then I never paint with it because I don't have the time. I'm and there's so just sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I'm caught in the tragedy of not enough in these ways. Can I just tell a story that we might have already told on this podcast, but I just suddenly thought of it with all these billionaires. So uh, we launched a little writing. Oh, we might have talked about this. Probably have. Look, things are going to get repeated. It's all right. Uh, We launched a little writing program and (laughs) our friend Liz Gilbert said, hey, I'll help you promote it on my social media. (laughs) And, um, 
And so she did and she said, I'm not affiliated with this. I'm not making any money from this. I just think it's a great program. If you like it, go visit. And uh, the first comment she got, (laughs) she posted it, was, and I quote, how many millions are enough for you, Liz Gilbert? <laughs> Poor Liz was Poor like, uh, free? I, <laughs> I, I do it for nothing. <laughs> Poor little thing. People, um, yeah, people notice. That this woman was projecting her it will never be enough, mm. I think, because Liz wasn't going there. Yeah. Liz yeah. is one of the enoughest person, people I've ever met. Absolutely. She would have enough. You could give that woman like a swizzle stick and a gumdrop and she'd be like, I am set for the year. Not pizza though or any Italian food. She she likes that a lot. She'll have more. She'll get there with her swizzle stick and her gumdrop. That's the thing. Anyway, the thing, Liz always has enough, you know, and that's, it's so interesting that Eat, Pray, Love was this massive success because when it was published and going out into the world, she had very, very little money. Yeah. But she, she, she lives with the feeling that life is absolutely abundant. And, you know, then abundance seems to find her. It so does. There's it a, does. Anyway, we're jumping too soon to, like, solutions to this problem. I Let's know. dig into the meat of the cultural nastiness around enough. So, Marty, as you know, and as our listeners know, in this podcast, we help people from bewilderment to bewilderment to their wild true nature. So what that means is we take the cultural consensus. What's the culture telling us to do? Does that feel bad? And then we come to our senses and try and find a way to feel good. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. Good. Oh, that's sensible. So nature, culture, I mean, we clearly have something in our nature that is a sort of hunting foraging gene Mm. i've never known a child i've I've never been a child who did not always appreciate good sticks and good rocks Mm. when Mm, you were a kid did you see sticks sometimes and you're like i cannot just leave that there that's a perfect stick yeah and stones on the beach shells yeah shells stones things like that pretty Mm. flowers like we we gather as we go through Mm. nature and um, that's part of what kept so many like traditional peoples going for hundreds of thousands of years. But in our culture, which denies any value except material wealth as being valid and important, it's gone, this, this instinct to acquire has gone absolutely nuts. And people are out just craving stuff we had never heard of day before yesterday, but suddenly we have to have it. Mm. And people going, I I have a lot of clients who have gone manically shopping just to, it gives them a dopamine hit, I Mm. think. And I I was once, I I was really late on a book deadline. And so I basically stayed awake for two weeks writing. Mm -hmm. And every night at three am to keep going i would drive to the drugstore and i would buy shiny objects <laughs> not eye drops no not eye drops i didn't care about that at the time it was like a pen that lights up or <laughs> you know a glittery cd case or something and they had cd cases at the time anyway it was shiny objects right i was like a crow and then i would and it would give me such a jolt it mm. was like oh, 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 i can write for another four hours yeah, it's funny you mentioned the dopamine thing because that idea of rewarding yeah. ourselves, right? And so you were rewarding yourself after writing all night by a shiny object like a crow probably mm-hmm. gets the same feeling from their buttons or whatnot. I don't know what they do. 
oh the yeah crow they get, community. do you not you want to know the, the literal truth no oh but you're gonna hear it now <laughs> <laughs> you brought up animals crows look for um burning embers because what they do is they take them and they put them in like a nest of straw and then they spread out their feathers and they let the smoke kill parasites. You're kidding me. This is why they're, they're called firebirds sometimes. And so a lot of barns burn down because a, a crow will take something like a lighted cigarette stub that yeah. hasn't quite gone out, take it to a barn, put it in a haystack, wait for it to smoke, get rid of all its parasites, and then out of here while your barn burns how did i never hear about this that's brilliant you just haven't spent enough time with me bro <laughs> that's not possible <laughs> so there's nothing in nature except fire that sparkles that brightly so crows generalize oh. to like little mirrors i once was in like the 17th floor of a hotel in miami and we had the windows open and i had a pair of sunglasses on the coffee table and a crow came through the window and took my sunglasses and flew away your recall for animal stories yes. is like 17th floor yes. <laughs> Miami <laughs> hotel. And, my... and then, but like your, your recall for got a meeting 3 PM. Zero. <laughs> no. Recall for passwords. No. Oh God, don't stop me. <laughs> anyway. So yes, there are these impulses to hmm. acquire for various reasons that every creature has and ours, you know, we're tool using mammals, so we really have it strongly, but now it's gone nuts. Well, and part of what, where it goes nuts for me is like the Amazon convenience part of our culture mm. right now where, so you know how you would back in the day where you had to go to the exact store for the exact thing, right? You know, and so you would think, oh, I would like to get a pair of headphones. Mm -hmm. That would be really good. Must remember. You know, and you might have put it on a list. And then next time you were at the store, you would have to think, oh, yeah, headphones. So you had to really have wanted it consistently over a while mm -hmm. um, and had it front of mind for a while in order to eventually make the purchase. But, like, I could wake up at 2 a.m. and go, headphones, app. <laughs> Plus, by the way, apps, shiny objects like embers. Right. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You say and you could do this. I think it's more accurate to say you do do this. <laughs> Let's just say I may have been known to do that. From I have time a friend. Time. I have a friend who was. She sometimes used Ambien um, to go to sleep, and she said, "Thank God, I'm not one of those people who does things and then I don't remember them in the morning when I'm on Ambien." And then one morning she got up after an Ambien sleep and she went to Amazon.com and she had like 400 emails saying, thank you for your order. And they were like 17 volumes of the same book on like 19th century sailing ships or something. Yeah, not enough. Not enough, right? No, this is a this is a detour, but I hope you'll let me take it. Marty's obsessed with this woman who uses her security footage to film herself. She's a sleepwalker. And it is so funny. Ambient is like a connection there. Yeah, we should link to this wonderful, wonderful gem of a person in oh. our whatever links up. You know these things. Sausage. I don't know what links. But yeah. <laughs> in the show notes, we will make sure you can watch the funniest, funniest thing of this woman sleepwalking. It's gold. The point remains that when you have that, when sleep is disinhibiting people, they may people typically eat peanut butter and a lot of it. So there, there's, it's like there's something that's not enough, not enough, not enough. And it's always gearing around in our brains. Huh. And uh, our culture basically says, yeah, feed that beast and never stop feeding it. Yeah, and we were talking about, it's interesting because we were talking about this in terms of a kind of spectrum that we could identify between 
a neediness of there's not enough, there's not enough, and that kind of point of view through to that where it, it gets really distorted, I think, in the culture and by the culture to yeah. that Gordon Gecko, greed is good, you know, Wall Street. And and there's there's something kind of voracious and yeah. more, 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 which is different from, oh, not enough, I need more. Yeah. You and know I, what I mean? You know, the niece of a certain ex-president, who I will not name, um, wrote a book about her uncle and she called it too much and never enough. Mm. And you could just put that on American, I mean, he's a product of his culture, right? That yeah. That is the, and he was in charge of the culture for a while. That's the driver in the seat. And when you have pure materialism mm. with nothing else as a, a an even close rival value, you get this culture where everybody's trying to get more. And then you get the capitalist need to sell more in order to get more. And that means that there are advertisers and psychologists out there hacking our brains to find out what will make us want more, 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 and then mm. putting that in front of us. And as a result, we've made like a plastic gyre in the Pacific that's bigger than Texas. We made all that stuff thinking we need this. Clearly, we didn't completely need it because we put it all in the ocean. Yeah. So yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. And there's that, you know, the the dopamine thing you were mentioning before. You think about gambling as mm-hmm. as another way that 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 never enough can kind of express itself in our psychology, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, th- the irony is that people the w- the reason the house always wins is that people never quit when they're ahead. I mean, very few people quit when mm. they're ahead because the dopamine spike of getting a hit or getting winning actually makes you crave the experience again, again and right. again and again. So you can, it, it's so weird. I used to think that um, it is a fact. This is literally this true. This is literally true. That the worst day for domestic violence is Super Bowl day. That's when more, and it, sorry to gender stereotype, but it typically goes this way, that men abuse their physically beat their wives after the Super Bowl. And I always thought it was because their team lost and then I was assigned to write an article on it, and it turns out it's the winners who beat up on people. Wow. They get sort of drunk with, like, there's not enough hitting and, and tackling oh, and right. bashing. And there's just this kind of veracity for everything. Yeah. And, I mean, think about the Super Bowl, how, how full of bright lights and, and big sounds and screaming. And, I mean, it's just, it's human energy frothed up to this frenetic incredible high point mm. and then unrelieved yeah yeah intense stimulation yeah so it's uh this is a serious cultural issue i would say yeah i think that when you take a psychology that's predisposed to and I, I need more and then give it everything at once it becomes more. Yeah, right. It's and funny. We were watching. We've been doing this. Um, watching The Sopranos for me. It's the first time. Um, so we've been watching the series. Karen and Marty have seen it before. But um, there was just this little interesting subplot that we watched recently, where there's a character, Steve Buscemi's character, who um, is released from jail. There's no. Um, there's no spoilers in this, is there? No. No. Um, so he gets out of. Prison, jail. I'm trying to learn prison. the difference. Prison, <clears throat> prison, silly. And uh, he's Australia trying to go straight. 
Australia is just one big prison, so you don't need the words over there. Yeah, we have oceans instead of bars. Um, no, we have bars. <laughs> Plenty of bars. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Um, so this guy gets out of prison and he's trying to go straight and he gets a job like delivering linens and stuff. And then at a certain point he gets a little, uh, he gets a financial windfall by complete blind luck. This money comes his way, the cash, untraceable, just boom. And it was just like that quickly for him to fall back into all the the organized crime stuff. Yeah. You know, just within hours, it seems like he was back in that life because he got some more. He got more. And it's interesting because the correlation between violence and acquisition is in that too, because he's working for this, for this laundry where he has this boss and they're going back and forth and they seem pretty cordial. And as soon as he gets this money, he goes back to work with the man and then just suddenly beats the crap out of him. Yeah. Like becomes very aggressive. And it's something... I said feed the beast a while ago. And uh, by the way, I love the Super Bowl and please go ahead and watch it. And the commercials are works of art. They're amazing. Halftime show. Hello. I don't watch that. I'm in the kitchen eating. Anyway, if you just if you just are aware, you know, that look at what this culture creates as this is a good time. The incredible level of excess of of money just to make those commercials to put them on tv it costs millions and millions per commercial and the whole football franchise thing it's just it's an astonishing portrait of the culture and what's missing in all of that again and again in everything we've been describing enough completely missing it doesn't exist yep, yep. it's not meant to exist so in, yeah that would be a disaster for the whole culture it's yeah. the other way so in asia you know, um, a lot of the Asian philosophies and religions are very dedicated to getting rid of illusion, getting rid of excess, as opposed to accumulating in the way of, in the way of knowledge, every day something is added in the way of enlightenment, every day something is dropped, says Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching. So there's something in, in Buddhism called the realm of the hungry ghosts. Oh yeah. And it's filled with these creatures that have these endlessly achingly hungry stomachs and these tiny pinhole mouths and they're always just attaching to people and sucking energy out of them but they'll never get enough oh i met a few of those <laughs> exactly so i i was watching this thing once where there was a group of people who were sitting at the feet of some asian monk and um he was very sweet very humble and this american said to him um I'm curious about the realm of the hungry ghosts. What does that look like? And the monk just said, America. Yeah, I mean, I have feel like I so understand what it is to be a hungry ghost or be in the realm of the hungry ghosts living here. And when we were talking about this earlier, I thought, oh, that's what it was like when I was pregnant during the pandemic and it was my first time being a mother and just this sense of everywhere that advertises because they know, they know when you're having a baby and they know. I think the whole industry of stuff knows when you feel particularly insecure. Because, oh, absolutely. Because the, the messaging about if you don't buy this, you will be a bad parent. I've yeah. never seen it as strongly as when I was pregnant. And then wow. the, fe the overlaid fear of the pandemic being everywhere. Right. I was just a sitting duck for, for the more people and I bought some really random shit you guys <laughs> out of fear of not not being a um, good parent if I didn't have the whatever yeah. it was the costume what's this? what's this it swings her back and forth 
okay, but what's that? It swings her up and down. <laughs> like they, were, they were trying to niche sell things. It was, it was quite something. I we were fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you weren't bad. And I, but it was fear related. Mm. And, the, and the hungry ghostness of us accompanies our anxiety. And I actually think creates a vicious cycle of anxiety. Because if you address your anxiety by getting more, and, and then that feeds back into the idea that there's not enough, it cycles upward. And I know when I'm most scared, that's when I've, I was scared when I was writing that book and I only had like two weeks. Yeah. Um, and I also, I remember once I went to this uh, gathering of a bunch of like really influential people and I'd never met any of them. And I was driving to go to the meeting and I passed like a, an everything store, mm -hmm. uh, like a Target or something. And without even thinking what I was doing, I was panicking, thinking, how do I meet these people? I pulled into the parking lot, parked my car, ran in, bought a backpack, and just stuffed it with, like, I don't know, cookies and liniment and, like, <laughs> liniment. snake oil, yeah, and pasties. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> Whatever you might need meeting a group of influential strangers. And I did not ever open that backpack, like, like months later. I was like, okay, it was just, it was just me trying to self-regulate my anxiety yeah. with the dopamine of acquisition. I've always been weird. <laughs> when I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became the gathering pod a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pot. So Marty, when you did that um, at Target, or and I'm sure that I've done that so many times, I'm sure that there's no one listening who can't relate to that experience. Do you think we are actually in pursuit of enough or have we been so hypnotized by the more 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 that we've forgotten that enough is ever the destination does that make sense i think people believe if they get enough they'll feel better i've worked with so many people who are like yeah i have six houses but until i get this next one it's not enough and now i have to knock down the entire front of the house and extend it 18 feet so that i will have enough and it never happened so we but what we're actually caught up in is this um, hamster wheel of more, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, take it to the logical extreme. This is a true thing. Hoarding is, the is I think, the severe, um, when the, the acquisition urge in the brain gets to the point of dysfunction, people mm. get so much stuff that every year people are literally killed by the stuff they've acquired that falls on them in their sleep and suffocates them. Oh, wow, that's sad. This is not, this is not just one person a year. It's like a handful of people every year all around the world. It's, wow. Yeah, so I gotta clean my secret closet. <laughs> I'll clean it for you. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so if you're living in this culture, as we all are, I think we need to be aware that this malformation of enough mm. is being fed to us and if we accept it it's it, it's like a cancer cancer is just a cell that doesn't remember when to stop growing 
stop replicating. Mm -hmm. And boy, we want to get that out of there as fast as we can, because remembering to stop is one of the most important things to keep ourselves in regulation. And it's something that we don't have in our culture. We really don't. So trying to come to our senses in the face of the the distortion of enough, the malformation of enough. The vanishing horizon. The of vanishing enough, horizon yeah. of enough. The, the, this, we called it the vanishing horizon because you can sail and sail and sail always, and, but you never reach it. It's impossible to reach. And so actually it's funny, Marty, because I was thinking about the coming to our senses and I remembered this time when we were living in California and I – I don't know what was happening in our lives at the time, but I remember waking up with this feeling and it was it was very much the the voracious Gordon Gecko kind of more feeling. But what I wanted more of was less. And I just said to you, I want more less. I just, you know, there was that sort of craving for simplicity and and the stopping that you were talking right. about, the remembering to stop. and But it was such a funny thing of, I want more less. I know. And when you said it, because it sounds a little nonsensical, mm-hmm. you know, you logic it out, but it landed in my body as, oh, thank God. Right. I want more or less too. <laughs> two? <laughs> what do you two? mean two? We're leaving it too. But I think it kind of resonated because you and I have both had experiences of, not as much stuff, not as much activity, not as many physical possessions. Maybe everybody out there listening has had a few times like that. Yeah, I think probably most of us have. What, what was yours? Oh, um, I was in South Africa for about a month. It was the longest. I've, I go there once a year, barring pandemic. And I usually just stay a couple of weeks. But this time it was a full month. And I, I minimized my packing. I took I had to teach a seminar that had five days. So I took five different outfits to wear and very minimal eye drops. There was <laughs> barely even a separate suitcase for the eye drops this time. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I put them in tiny bottles. No, I really, I, I compacted, man. And I, even my phone, they didn't have Wi-Fi at the time. Now they do. But I had my iPhone and that was the only machine I had mm. and very few clothes. And I would just, now I was being very entitled and I recognized that I was being very entitled, but I was staying at this lovely, in this lovely thatched cottage that had cement floors and it was beautiful, but very basic. And I would meditate during the day and always hang up everything I'd worn, you know, always make sure everything got cleaned and it had these little routines like a, like a monk. Mm-hmm. And it was absolute bliss. Mm. I don't think I've ever been happier. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Like when we're away from our, our own stuff, our own abode where we keep all our stuff, you mm-hmm. know, because what else is a house for <laughs> other than a place where we put our shit? Um <laughs> I, you remind me of the time that I spent traveling around India because that was a very, um, like I I had to carry everything and it was a long trip. I was there for three months and I remember I was, I worked in a call center saving up the money for that trip and whenever it was quiet, I would be on forums and stuff about packing, you know, what do you bring? What do you bring? How do you, how do you get it right? Because Unlike a lot of places you go where you're like, oh, well, if I forget it, I can buy it over there. That's not always the case in 
in if you're in rural India. And so it was just I but I remember the absolute delight and it was a similar sort of thing, you know, like packing my backpack every day and the every object had been so carefully chosen and had such a specific function. There was nothing there that was like, oh, might need that. No, it was all, I was telling you, I even had, like, you, you need duct tape uh, in India because you. there's a lot of different reasons, not just India. Everyone, look. Taking hostages, whatever. We all need duct tape. That's true. Everyone should always have duct tape. You will never have enough duct tape. And that is the final message here. No, not really. And WD-40. Anyway, but we, <laughs> I didn't have any WD-40. Put it in. Put it in. <laughs> um, I didn't say that. No. Um, so I needed that, but someone brilliant on a forum had pointed out to me that a roll of duct tape is a very large object to mm. have in a backpack mm. when you're traveling for months on end. And so I had a pencil that I had wound the duct tape around. I still have that pencil with a little bit of green duct tape left because I loved it. It was my friend. (laughs) And, you know, the backpackers, you know, the sort of Western hippie roaming lost soul types who uh, were were all circulating at the same time as me, they – you know, we had there was quite a good like book exchange, like a novel exchange, where as soon as you know a couple of white people saw each other, they would like fall on each other and go, "What have you got to read?" Because this was pre devices. Wow. Yeah. So I remember once reading a Dan Brown novel and not even the first one <laughs> three <laughs> times in a row because I didn't, I couldn't find. Oh, honey. Yeah. I'm so sorry that Thank happened you. to you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't usually like to talk about it. Oh, okay. But anyway, the point was that I um, had very little stuff and it was enough. And yeah. it was a wonderful thing to have enough. And I remember coming back and being back in sort of American housing and everything. And um, it struck me that we spend most of our money on more like what most people spend most of their money on mm. is for their mortgage or their rent or whatever so what we're paying for mostly is space mm-hmm. and every time we acquire something it's eating a bit of that the most valuable thing we have and I was thinking huh. what if the neighbors came over and said like, our neighbor down the street came up and said look I have like six books that you're not going to read uh give me ten dollars I'll, I'll put them in your house <laughs> Because, like, I buy books that I don't read, and they yeah. sit in my house, and they're eating space, and they're eating money. Like, wow. space is actually an important component of our lives, a very important component. And every time we give in to not enough and we start cramming more stuff in, we're losing this incredibly valuable resource that we don't credit as being anything. Yeah, space is a thing. But for some reason, it's not caught up in the whole more, more, more cycle. Yeah. I And again, Eastern philosophy. I remember when I read the Tao Te Ching for the first time, I was particularly struck by one, one short chapter, which I will quote here almost in its entirety. In the original, I hope. Uh, uh, it's been a while. Maybe <laughs> later. Um, my, my brain was too full of Chinese, so I took it out. Fair enough. Anyway, in English, it goes, we shape clay into a pot, but it is the emptiness inside that holds what we want. Hmm. We hammer wood for a house, but it is the inner space that makes it livable. We work with being, but non-being is what we use. 
we work with being, but non-being is what we use. Can you just unpack that a bit for those of us who may not be as, as familiar with Lao Tzu? Well, it, uh, it, it's funny how it hit me first as true without it making any sense. Right. Which is one of the things I love most when something hits me very strongly as the truth, but my mind doesn't know how. Right. So I did have to sit and, and sift through that, and I had many thoughts. And the first thing I thought is that every one of us, every atom in our bodies is mainly empty space. Mm. So if, And even the matter in the nucleus is, is really just wave energy if you take it a certain way. But literally, if you look at this, what looks like solid matter in our bodies, that is the tiniest percentage. The, the amount of us that is empty space and I'm going to give you the accurate number is 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
you know, the family is what we see around us, but it's the love between us that, that is really the power. I, in one of my books, I said, um, the meaning of life isn't what happens to people. The meaning of life is what happens between people. Right. It's in the space between. Yeah. And when I was teaching art at, at Harvard. Um, well, sorry, I didn't catch that. Where were you? Oh, it's just a little, you know, never mind. You wouldn't, okay. you wouldn't know it. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but I taught with this brilliant professor who would say, when you draw two objects, like two bananas or whatever, um, you're actually drawing three things because the space around the bananas is also a visual element. So the space between can actually be the most important part of a piece of art or a relationship or anything. Can I just add an obligatory Anita Franco lyric to this conversation? Of course. So there's a lovely little bit where she sings, um, talking about herself in the third person, I assume, but maybe it's just a character in the song, but um, half of learning how to play is learning what not to play. And she's learning the spaces she leaves have their own things to say. Mm. And that's like this, the musical version, like the spaces between notes, right? Is Space, like Space, the musical. It's funny that, you know, that, that Marie Kondo's thing is so much about discarding though because I feel like there's something to be said for... I don't know, for the space that exists before we acquire in the first place as well. You know, like what about buying less, you know, before we have to throw it out because there's that like that classic thing of there, you know, throw it away, there is no away. Mm, There's nowhere to throw it back to your, you know, the the plastic gyre in in the ocean. And I feel like part of the nastiness of the more, 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 is that it is a landfill creation machine, mm. you know? And, you know, like I have this particular bugbear about the idea of stocking stuffers at mm. Christmas time and this idea of stuff that is understood to be crappy plastic nothings that w- won't work and will be thrown out immediately so that someone can go, ah. Right. You know, one time and then forget it exists. And I just feel like so much of this, you know, I don't want to go on too much about the environmental side of it, but that's a real thing. It's a real thing. Every single thing that's ever been made is still here. You know? And and here's the thing. Marie Kondo says, um, you know, if it sparks joy, then get it. If it sparks joy, then keep it. But I think that with her sensibility, it, she's very aware of what sparks joy and what just sparks the the monster of more. So it's about coming to your senses in in making that initial decision. Is this sparking joy yeah. or is it sparking crazy dopamine, you know, chemical addiction in the brain? And I think a really good acid test would be to say, do I have, is it, is this more than enough? Do I have enough without this? If I didn't have this object, would it still be enough? Would there still be enough? Wow, yeah. Like bring enough back into your lexicon and into your your conceptual horizon so that you can yeah. say, I already have the, the stocking stuffer, the word stuff. <laughs> right. It's like we're just stuffing yes. until we're, and, and that is not a comfortable sounding word. No. 
put it in. Put put no. it. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. You started it. Um, there's this Zen, um, very famous Zen story of a guy who comes to a, a monk and he says, I've, I've got so much in my head. I've learned and learned and learned and learned and learned because that's another aspect. You can never know enough in our culture. You always have to be super smart. Yeah. And, um, the priest just says, the Zen monk says to him, um, have a cup of tea. He's like, all right. So he picks up the, one of these cups with no handles, these little cups in Japan. And the Zen master pours the tea, which is scalding hot. And when he gets to the top, he just keeps pouring and it gets all over the guy's hands. And then he drops it and it gets all over his body and it burns him. And, and then he goes, how'd you like them apples? And runs away <laughs> laughing. <laughs> no, that's the end of the story. That's the thing about Zen stories. They leave you to figure it out. And so he's just, uh, he, he obviously the, the sort of metaphor is you're looking for less. Hmm. You're, not, you're, you're asking for more, but you're looking for less. Yeah. So, yeah, when you're longing to fill this, this craving inside you, you're actually, you're looking to fill the space. Because that's what we want spaces for, to yeah. fill them with stuff. Right. But what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that what we're actually craving is space itself. And you know what? This is so interesting because when I used to go to the methadone clinic in Phoenix and, and talk to the heroin addicts who were, I would go life coach them. Sure. <laughs> because, you know, I wanted to work on hard cases and I would ask them, and these were active addicts and they were still living on the streets. And um, I would say, what? are you chasing with all of this? And they'd given their whole lives, all their money there. They'd spent time in prison. They were, you know, robbing houses and things all for this feeling that they got the first time they took heroin. And I, I would say, what did it feel like? And they said, absolute calm, absolute peace, no thought, no need, no anything. It was just, <sighs> in other words, it was the feeling of space. Enough. In Asia, they call it emptiness. Space and enough. Is that yeah. kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. So I think here's the thing. If you keep consuming something because it's gonna, you think it's going to make you well and it keeps making you sicker, cons try consuming something different. So more, 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 more is not healing us. Maybe less, 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 less will heal us. So this may be a bit prescriptive. I tend to get prescriptive, but I, I, I'm going to take this advice myself and I would really offer it for our listeners. Um, like find something you have that doesn't spark that kind of easy joy that, that maybe feeds the beast of more, but isn't really satisfying you at the level of spaciousness and get rid of it. And maybe also bear in mind the space that you have already and think twice before you fill it with something. Yeah, because... It's like walking from a busy city into a cathedral full mm. of just this huge, vast, lovely stillness. Uh, that's what they call space consciousness or emptiness in Buddhism. Mm. And it is not forlorn. It is gorgeous and delicious. And it's what we're mostly made of. Mm. And it's what we're all headed on to become in the, in the long run. So in the meantime, stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. 
Our handle is bewilderedpodcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.